All right. If you were here uh, last week, Sunday, I believe it was in the afternoon service, I, I said, remember kids, I, I said if you were something like between 7 and 12 years old, um, today is an important day on the church's calendar. Do you know what day that was? And then some of you raised your hands, you got that right. It was Ascension Day, right? So we had actually celebrated last Sunday what the, normally the church celebrates on a Thursday, it's the ascension or the rising of Jesus into heaven. Now I'm going to ask you another question. If you're between 7 and 12 years old, I want to see if you can get this one. It's also today is a special day in the church's calendar. So if you're between 7 and 12, raise your hand if you know what day that is. Really? Okay, go ahead. Pentecost. Pentecost. You hear that? Pentecost Sunday. So one other question. Do you know the significance of Pentecost? Why is that so important? That's right. It's when the Holy Spirit came down upon his disciples to work in their hearts. And, um, you know, that was, that was forecast for many, many years by the Old Testament prophets, looking for a time when actually, in the words of the Bible, the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon the disciples, but not just poured out upon the disciples, but poured out upon God's people as a whole, so that, as we read in the book of Acts, the Spirit who came down would empower the people of God in order to spread the message of Jesus in the world. Now, with that having been said, and I want to read the, the, the Scripture here in just one moment, I want to say this. When you take a look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit who was poured out upon the church, you see that that ministry, um, that role that He plays in our lives, in the lives of the church, is what I call very, it's varied, it's multiform, it is beautiful, and sometimes it is misunderstood, and many times, I think, especially in conservative circles, it is undervalued, underappreciated. There's many things that we could say about the role or the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What I want to do is I want to take one little facet of the Spirit's ministry, which is this, which we're going to look at on the basis of Romans 5, verse 5, that God has graciously poured His Spirit into our lives so that we may not only understand and embrace, but value, cherish, and experience the love of God for us. If you are feeling distant from God for whatever reason, know that God has not abandoned you, but He has given you His Spirit to kindle in you a responsive love for Him. We'll fill this out as we take a look at our passage now. Romans chapter 5, I want to begin reading at verse 1 just through verse 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and what that really means is, therefore, since we have been declared to be in right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ, a beautiful thing. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And, here's our text, 
Hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. So we're going to especially focus on verse 5, but I'll, I'll put it um, into context in just a moment. So we're going to be looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the very important ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, when you think of Pentecost... You think about how once Jesus ascended into heaven, 10 days after that, he actually, and the word poured out, I believe is used three times in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit does not come down as a trickle upon the people of God, but it comes down almost like a flood. The Spirit's power and the Spirit's presence is poured out upon the people of God. Now, the Holy Spirit was present in the first two-thirds of the books of the Bible. So, in the Old Testament, you find these prophets not only experiencing the Spirit to preach the Word of God and to, to teach the people of God, but what you find is that these prophets are speaking about the Spirit of God what is called the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, and they're saying there's going to come a time in the future, and Joel chapter 2, the prophet Joel specifically speaks about this in chapter 2, where he says the Spirit is coming, and the, the, the Spirit who came and sprinkles here and there in the Old Testament is going to be flooded upon God's people. Time is coming when, fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit is going to actually be poured out upon the people of God, so that they may not only walk with God and know God, but so that they can be empowered by that very Spirit to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. Very, very important. What's interesting here in Romans 5, verse 5, is that that word poured is also used. But it doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the people of God, but actually... God's love being poured into our hearts through what? Through the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. The point being is that when we think about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's not something that is just kind of objective out there and that we read about the Bible has just been, been poured upon the people of God, but actually it's more personal even than that, more intimate that God actually pours into our lives His love but he does that through the ministry, the very personal ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at that, that more personal ministry of the Holy Spirit where he draws near to us, lives in us, and takes the love of God and pours that into the very center of our being, testifying to us, whether we feel it or not, if you are a child of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are love. And that love will never let you go. Now, this should be an encouragement for us. Um, it was encouragement for the people of, of God during um, the early New, uh, New Testament times. You know, the Apostle Paul is writing to Romans. So what you have is you have a church in Rome, Italy, getting off the ground, a lot of new Christians, and a number of them are actually experiencing struggles. 
And the struggles come likely from persecution, because persecution was going on a lot at that time, and Christians were having to take it on the chin for their faith, either economically or being persecuted uh, physically. The Apostle Paul recognizes that, so many times when he writes letters to churches that are getting off the ground, sometimes those letters contain forms of rebuke, if the people are kind of gradually turning their backs on God and falling back into the world, and Paul, so Paul rebukes them, but he also provides the encouragement to draw near to God and also to be encouraged that when difficulties come their way, various forms of suffering, particularly persecution, they should not give up, they should not become despondent, but realize that, that nothing in this world comes by chance, and it, even the difficulties and the persecutions of their life are orchestrated by God, not to destroy them, but to refine them and to draw them to Himself. If you have your Bibles open, take a look at verses 3 and 4. More than that, we, this is interesting, we rejoice in our sufferings. You know, how many of us, when we are going through difficulty, maybe if you're going through difficulty right now, you probably don't think, you know, I really feel like rejoicing. This is, this, is, this is wonderful. It's not wonderful. It's difficult. But even in the midst of the difficulties of our sufferings, whatever they may be, the Lord encourages us, and this letter encourages, don't be despondent. Actually, be joyful. Why? Because of the residual benefits of suffering, of difficulty. We rejoice, actually, in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not ultimately disappoint us. What a beautiful perspective on the difficulties that we undergo. I mean, you think of people who don't know Jesus, don't know anything about the Bible, don't know anything about the church, and when difficulties come their way, I mean, who do they turn to? What do they do? For the Christian, it's very different. For the Christian, we look to God and know that, you know what? God is not done with us. Actually, He's going to work out some wonderful things in our lives. The word for suffering here, we rejoice in our sufferings, is actually, kids, it's, a, it's kind of a weird-sounding word in the Greek language, the word thlipsis. And when you look elsewhere where this word thlipsis is used, it's just not talking about sufferings in general, difficulties that we face on almost a weekly basis, right? But thlipsis is, it more oftentimes gets at, in other parts of the Bible, it gets at um, sufferings that result from pressures. Thlipsis really is, is a matter of pressure. So pressures, and oftentimes those pressures come through the avenue of persecution. So the pressure, economic pressures, or physical pressures, or emotional pressures. I mean, we don't know what that's like. What, what do we know really about persecution? We don't. But you talk to many Christians in the world today, they'll tell you about persecution. They'll tell you about thlipsis, about these pressures. And the Apostle Paul is writing these, these Christians in Rome about these pressures, and he says, do not become despondent, actually rejoice, because through your thlipsis, through these pressures of persecution, here's what's going on in your life, and will increasingly go on as you cling to Christ. You're going to grow in endurance. Other translations have it, patience. You're going to know what it means to endure during these difficulties and not give up. You're also going to experience what we call proven character. That is, you're going to become deepened as a person in your walk with Jesus Christ. I will tell you right now as a pastor, 
who has pastored a number of churches and now, and here we're at Pathway, you are no different than the other church. The strongest Christians in any church are oftentimes those who have had to go through some form of difficulty, some deep suffering, who did not give up, but they continued to trust the Lord. And the Lord refined them through that and deepened them through that. It's a beautiful thing to behold. Although the, although the way to proven character can sometimes be very painful, right? So we end up receiving patience, we receive proven character, and ultimately hope. And when you think of hope, what do you think of? You think of confidence, you think of assurance. You don't, the opposite of hope is what? It's, it's despair. And many times with people in the world, as I said, who don't know Christ, they, they fall into various forms of despair. Where am I going to go with my difficulties? How am I going to get over this? And what do we find online and through social media? All this stuff is coming through the tunnel, right? Oh, you got to, it's, it's kind of, well, especially what we see, you know, coming from the U.S. It's this independence, this autonomy, this kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps, kind of like this health, uh, self-help stuff out there. You can do it, you know, soldier on. You have it within you, you know, and the Christian's like, well, there's a certain benefit to thinking that way, I suppose, but ultimately we know how weak we are and we have to trust the Lord. And it's Him in Him that we have our hope. Hope of what? Hope that we're not going to crumble beneath the pressure, but God has something in store for us in this life and even something better in the life to come. How do we know that's true? How do we know all of what I said for the last five minutes? How do we know that's all true? That God is going to work refinement in our lives through our difficulties. Here's the reason why, verse 5. Because God has poured into our hearts His love through the ministry of the Spirit whom He has given us. And you let that soak in for a little bit. And I want to fill this out just a little bit more. And what I want to do is I want to bring out two things that we find from the standpoint of the original language. And sometimes I like to bring these things out, not always, but sometimes, not to sound technically sophisticated, right, but because there's, there's, there's a pastoral implication to these things from the original language. Here's the first thing. I want you to take a note, if you have your Bibles open, take a look at this, or otherwise take a look at the overhead, look at verse 5, and pay very close attention to the wording. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given us. Again, God's love has been poured into our hearts. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, as a form of encouragement, God's love was poured into our hearts. Grammatically, in the aorist tense, which is a, a simple past tense, giving us the idea that in times of difficulty, hey, we may be assured that God has, at a certain definite point in time, given His Holy Spirit to us and implanted His love within our hearts, but... Yeah, do we, do, we have, do we have the confidence that that love is going to remain? Or did he just do it in the past at a certain point in our lives? In the passage here, it doesn't come in a simple past tense, but it comes in the perfect tense. And a perfect tense grammatically teaches us something has occurred in the past, but it's not done. It has continuing results for the future. So here's, here's technically the pastoral implication of this, that in your own lives as Christians, God has poured forth His love into the center of your being, your center of your hearts, through the Holy Spirit. A love that is not just there and dries up, but continues to work in your lives 
and continues to be poured forth into your lives when you need it most. It's like this. Um, okay, it's raining today. It's supposed to be sunny on Tuesday, I guess. I follow the weather here closely, and it's iffy about tomorrow. But let's say tomorrow actually surprises us, partly cloudy, no rain, Tuesday, no rain. Whatever puddles you see on your property or in the street, those puddles are very likely not going to be there in two days. That is not how God's love works. It's not like, well, he fills up that puddle, he fills up our lives with the puddle of his love, but then we don't know if it's going to dry up. No, it continues to be poured forth in our lives. Then the second quick thing is this. This text also comes in what we call the passive voice. In other words, that love that is poured forth in our hearts comes as a gift of God's grace to us. It's not something like God says, okay, here's my love and whoever wants it can go get it. So then you and I actively go ahead and say, oh, that's what I want. I think I'll take hold of it. No, as a child of God, God says, you're passive recipients of this. I don't have to give you this love, but I do. And I pour that love into you through the Holy Spirit, not that you have taken hold of, but that I have given you. That's a beautiful thing. That's the kind of God that we serve. Now, let me give you um, a, a bit of, um, what should I say, an illustration um, of this, okay? Um, don't, don't put on the picture yet. Um, I have a visual I want to show you just very briefly. But I want to preface it with this, and it's a picture of a reservoir. Kids, you know what a reservoir is? A reservoir oftentimes is a man-made lake. So you, you, take, you take an empty space, you pour water into it, and you build a dam to keep the, the water in, a reservoir. Okay. In 2018, um, after serving about, I don't know, 23 years in the ministry, um, I was back in Phoenix, and the elders, uh, after all that time, graciously gave me a sabbatical. I said, I, I need guys who need a little bit of a break, and they said, fine, we understand that. So they gave me um, a summer off and used that for some forms of work and reading and so on. But Joy and I committed just to getting away, and we did that for a month and a half, and we went on this long road trip, and I won't tell you all about it, but I'll tell you this. We went to one place that we always wanted to go to, and that's Jasper National Park. So it was quite a haul for us from Phoenix, but we went up to Jasper National Park, and we stayed just outside of Jasper National Park at a place called Worm Lodge along, and I, maybe some of you have been there. It's a place outside of Jasper. Uh, it's called uh, Abraham Lake. Abraham Lake is a reservoir that they dammed up. Now, kids, um, exactly 50 years ago, in 1972, there was no lake there. It was just a deep valley. But the provincial government of Alberta decided that they were going to fill that valley up with water, which they did. You say, how did they get that water? Through various tributaries, but especially through the North Saskatchewan River that came into that and built that reservoir. Now, if you take a look at the, the photo, isn't that a beautiful lake? I'll be very quick with this. Now, you look at the top end where that big mountain is. That's the beginning of the reservoir, and it's kind of a long reservoir. But here we find the North Saskatchewan River feeding into that. Go to the next one. That's a Google map, and this will show you even more clearly. At the very top, that's where you find Orem Reservoir. But you notice the various tributaries that are feeding into it, and the major one along the right side is the North Saskatchewan River that's feeding into it. Now, just keep it up there for a moment. When you think 
of God's love that has been poured into your hearts, think of the top reservoir. That's the pool of love that remains with us. But God just doesn't create that reservoir, then over time it dries up. He continues to fill that reservoir through the stream of love that he keeps feeding through the ministry of the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That's a beautiful thing. So, so in other words, when we're in Christ, we, we, you say, well, I, you can, I can ask you, do, do you know that you're loved by God? You say, well, yeah, I, I know that love of God. But here's the thing. Sometimes I question it. Um, or sometimes when I'm low and I'm struggling, um, I, I don't always feel it. Like, I know the reservoir is there, but I feel dried up in, inside. And during times like that, you have to remember that whether you feel it or not, God is continuing to fill you with His Spirit. But there, there, there are times, there are times where you say, okay, um, I know that's true. Like, for instance, objectively, I read in the Bible that God's love has been poured into to my heart through the Holy Spirit who He has given to me. And I know other scriptures like where it says in 1 John, not that we love God, but actually he loved us and gave his son as atoning sacrifice for his sins. That, 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 that I read in the pages of the Bible that God's love is for his people and God's love is for me. And yeah, I, I see that and I understand that. And, and I also know that I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and the Spirit also works in me, bearing witness to my human spirit that, yes, I am a son and daughter of the King. I am a child of God. Okay, I, 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 I read that in the Bible. For instance, let me read you something here regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit internally in us. If you have your Bibles open, go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, just verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and we could say also as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, that, that's, that's a cry of intimacy. And then it goes on to say, in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, you heard that. And if you have a Bible, you read that. But sometimes, again, and, and, and um, pastorally, I know this because I interact with people, and again, through various churches and even here at Pathway, where people say, I know that to be true, but why isn't it that, that I don't always feel that on the inside? Why is it, why is it that there sometimes is, there seems to be a real disconnect between myself and God, Right? And you, you and I, right, we always get a sense that, that God's love is always flowing. It always remains consistent. But our response of love is inconsistent at best, right? Isn't your life like this? It goes this way our whole life. Would that it could go just like, just keep going up and up and up and up. But that's not what happens. It goes up and down, up and down. Why is that? Why is it that we don't always feel the love of God? I want to mention uh, two things on a personal note, and a pastoral note. Sometimes there seems to be a disconnect between ourselves and God, first of all, because of things that have come from, the, things that we have no control over, and things that have come from the outside to us, oftentimes in the form of loss. Um, I have pastored older people in the ministry, where after 
35, 40, 50, 60 years or more of marriage, they, they lose their spouse. Now, if you've never lost a spouse, you've never lost a child, should I tell you what you feel like? You feel like a limb has been amputated. Or you feel like, especially if you've been married 40, 50, 60 years, when you lose your spouse, it's like, like somebody takes a sword and cuts you right down the middle and you just lost the left half or the right half. It's a very strange sensation. It's during those times where not always in such intense grief do you feel the love of God. Or maybe it may be something that you feel that disconnects you from God or diminishes love that you feel when you, when you lose a child who once was walking in the faith and starts walking away from the faith. Or maybe it's the loss of a job that you once cherished. Or maybe it was the loss of a marriage where you remember, oh, I remember when we said our vows, but now things are imploding, things are falling apart. And, and you go, where, where, where is God in all of this? You know, and, and sometimes finally it's just, and you find this with, with people who, who get a certain disease. It may be MS or maybe MD, muscular dystrophy or something, Lou Gehrig's disease, where they were once vibrant and they were healthy, you know, and then all of a sudden they lose physical and mental ability. And they're like the psalmist who says, Lord, where are you? Where is my hope? Why do, why do you not answer me, O God? Where are you? So sometimes there is a disconnect where we don't feel the love of God because of things that have come our way, and sometimes what happens, and I'll be quick with this, we don't feel the love of God or there is a disconnect, not because of things that have come from the outside to us, but things that have been generated from within, what I would call self-inflicted wounds. And again, you deal with people in the ministry like this, people who get caught up in a certain lifestyle. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's certain forms of sexual sin. Maybe, maybe it's substance abuse or what have you. And they know deep down that as they're continuing that life, what's happening is more and more as they engage in these things, they're disconnecting themselves from God and they are what the Bible says, they're quenching the spirit. They're grieving the spirit. They're resisting the spirit. And as, the longer they do that, the more you have this going on. You have this disconnect. You have this distance. Maybe you're here this morning and you know exactly what I'm talking about right now in your life. And others of you, I know, will be able to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not identifying with this as much now, but I certainly did 10, 20, maybe 30 years ago. That is, until God came my way and like Jacob wrestling the angel, God began to wrestle me. And you know what? Through his spirit, he finally wrestled me to the ground. He pinned me and he subdued me. And it was painful at the time. But now I look at it and I go, man, what grace, what grace. Already at that dark time, without me realizing it, God was pouring forth his love into my heart and changing my heart through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to share a quote with you if you put that up right now. Could you do that? There you go. This is a wonderful quote by a man named Abraham Kuyper. Who, unless he's a stranger to his own heart, doesn't remember how many years it took before he gave up his resistance, how he always avoided facing it, how he restlessly opposed it, how he wanted to arrange a sort of truce between himself and God, as if to say, Lord, um, let's, just, let's do the truce. I'll, 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 I'll follow you the best I can, but I want to continue living the life that I'm living. That never works. 
But the Holy Spirit would not cease and gave him no rest. Again and again, the familiar knock was heard. And after years of resistance, he could not help but yield. It became like a fire in his bones, and he cried out, You, Lord, you are stronger than I am. You have prevailed. In this way, the Holy Spirit breaks down every wall and pours out, Romans 5, 5, God's love in all of the empty spaces until the whole heart has become his temple. An important ministry and a beautiful ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, I give you that quote to give you encouragement. Do you feel far from God? If so, whatever you do, just don't sit there. You say, what do I do? The book of James puts it like this. It's very simple. Draw near to God. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Stop the resistance. Stop the quenching. Revel in who God is. Embrace His love. Draw near to Him and begin a new course. I'll leave you with this. Um, a number of years ago, there's a wonderful book that's put out. I don't think we have it on the book table. We should get it. A number of you have read it, and if you haven't read it and you're exploring more of the Christian faith, read it. It's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It came out many years ago, almost 50 years ago, 1973. And in that book called Knowing God, there is a chapter called The Love of God. And so I was reading through an old copy. In fact, it's been paged through so many times, the pages are starting to fall out. And as I was rereading this chapter on the love of God a number of years ago, and I noticed in the margins of that book some female printing. A style of writing that was, certainly was a female, and I realized it was one of our daughters who was, I think, at that time going through a, a difficult time. And in the margins, she wrote this. She said, how can my heart be flooded with the love of God? Because I think at that time of her life, she felt really quite distant. He said, how can my heart be flooded with the love of God? Brothers and sisters, if you had a fellow brother and sister in this church who asked you that question, how would you respond? Or if you are a parent who has a child and asks you that question, how can my heart be flooded with the love of God? What would you say? I don't know if there's any perfect answer, but I think I would say this. I would say, honey, you wonder how... Your heart can be flooded with the love of God. Here's what you need to do. You just need to ask. You need to ask. Because you need to remember something. God is more generous with his grace and love than you can ever imagine. In fact, his desire is to pour forth his love into your heart so that you can hardly contain it. In fact, it's his desire to do that more than it is your desire even to pray. So ask. That's what Jesus says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, and I'll leave you with this. Think on these words. Jesus says, if earthly fathers give good gifts to their children, how much more will the heavenly father give his spirit to those who ask? All we have to do is ask. Let's do that now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You tell us in the Bible very clearly on the pages of Scripture that for those who have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with you. 
And in addition to that, Lord, you have given us the deposit of your spirit and you have poured forth your love into our hearts through the spirit whom you have given us. But Father, we know by personal experience that sometimes this, this love that, that we receive on our end sometimes seems shallow. And Lord, we do not blame you more often, Lord, it's just a, it's who we are as weak human beings, and sometimes sinful human beings. Father, we pray that more and more you would grant us the experience of your love in our lives, the kind of love that would precipitate a response of love on our end, and faith, and obedience, and worship, and praise. And Father, if we are here this morning where we feel a disconnect, either because of things that have come to us or things that we have done to ourselves, Father, we pray that you would flood our hearts with your love and with the ministry of your Spirit, and we pray that you would sanctify our hearts, that you would increasingly draw us to yourself, that we would commit ourselves to walking in greater faith and obedience and the spiritual disciplines that we have looked at over the past number of months. And we pray that they would all come together, oh God, so that we would, as our text says this morning, so that we would rejoice and experience profound, profound and beautiful blessings from your hand. So Lord, we do pray for that. And we pray for your grace and your spirit to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.